Welcome to Hort Culture, where a group of extension professionals and plant people talk about the business, production, and joy of planting seeds and helping them grow. Join us as we explore the culture of horticulture. Hello, everybody. Bonjour. Welcome to Hort Culture. Hello, hello. Welcome, Thank welcome. Good to be here. <laughs> How's everybody feeling today? I know that... Um, my i'm like staring out the window or trying to stare out the window because it looks so beautiful outside and i am in an office which is never fun for plant people to be in an office on a beautiful day you have a window yeah you have a window window? (laughs) oh yeah josh your office is like a bunker yeah (laughs) josh i'm with you i'm team josh i have no window and they put me with no window because in the springtime i disappear if it's nice and pretty out i find a farm to go visit or land somewhere to walk across so it's good that i don't have a window i'm looking (laughs) at the bright side nice Alexis is over there flexing her window. Yeah, the sun nice is shining bright. bright. It's 55 degrees outside. It is On your old It Kentucky is a home. pretty day in March here in Kentucky. Mm. It is summer. Brett, how well, are you it's feeling? not summer. I feel I feel all right. I I'm always look look forward to talking to you fine folks and especially when we're talking about a topic where you all know so much more than I do. And so I get a chance to learn and uh, ask my goofy questions, but I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good. Still got, still have to wear glasses. So. <laughs> still on that glasses train, huh? So. Yeah. Haven't, <laughs> haven't figured out a way out yet. Just waiting for the bionic eyes. <laughs> yeah. With all the screens we stare at, it's not getting any better. And as we progress <laughs> through time and age, it probably doesn't get a lot better. <laughs> And that doesn't help with this topic, by the way, integrated pest management, because the the aphids are not getting any bigger for the most part. So they're still hard for me to see when I am scouting. Yeah, I don't know. I saw the most enormous aphids ever this morning. Uh, of but course, I think Alexis would blow me out of the water first. I, I'm telling you, they're <laughs> the on most enormous aphids. You they're on steroids. I, I don't what were even. They on? I, like, my uh, anemones they were on in the high tunnel and i have they have been there since before valentine's day in fact i sent a picture to uh dr larson who is uh, one of our state entomologists and i was like uh by the way and it was like february 11th and he just texted me back and he was like it's not even valentine's day (laughs) and uh yeah so welcome to kentucky you so have you... an enemy on your anemones. Oh, so. man. Ray, you well, beat me well, too. Literally. No, you were not going to well, say that, were you? I was going to say I should have known, Brett, with your wow. witticisms. quick draw. Man, <laughs> I am glad I just bulled my way into they this conversation and ignored County, everybody. I tell you what. Yeah, we are, on, like we are on the same vibe today. This sunshine has everybody <laughs> on the same same wavelength. Yes. An yeah. enemy of your anemones. Yes. Oh, that is good. It, that the needs enemy to be of my a, anemone uh, is my... Topic someday. Th- that, may be the t- that may be the title of this. We don't know. That may be the, the title. En- enemy of my anemone. Well, is my Dahlia. Is my <laughs> no. Stop that. Stop it. Yeah. It's not done. My you lady started bird. it. We're having fun. But what we are starting is a talk on integrated pest management, uh, also known as IPM. Uh, if you have seen or heard of that before, it's what we're chatting about. Yeah, and we uh, before we got started here today, we talked about that. It's not the individual concepts. Individual concepts and integrated pest management are not difficult in and of themselves, but defining them all together and talking about it in a comprehensive way is sometimes difficult because literally integrated, the first word, integrated pest management is a sort of an 
ecological or ecosystems approach to managing pests? And I and I'll give you kind of the 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 number one theme up front, and it's this: whether you're a homeowner or a commercial producer, organic almost, or conventional. Yes, organic or conventional is that organic and inorganic sprays, direct sprays in a IPM model, integrated pest management model, spraying for a pest, whether it be an inorganic or organic spray for pest control, is almost exclusively last on the list of management scenarios. It is the very last thing we think about is direct sprays to take care of a pest. But integrated it's on pest the management, list. it's everything. It's on the it's list. On the list. Yes, it's, it's absolutely the last because the it's list. it's it's one of the tools in the toolbox. Mm. And these, we think of this as kind of linear, right? We're going to talk about things like the first thing you should do is find the pests, and you know we're going to go through sort of that linear model. But sometimes those steps are all combined into one or two things. Uh, I, from personal experience, I can tell you. So sometimes. You're not really skipping steps. You're just cramming them into one and you're taking those stairs two at a time. Mm. So, you know, we do what we got to do, right, to get the get the product out. But there are some things that we can do ahead of time. Uh, and if you know what to be looking for. And when we say pests also, we're also talking about like fun, um, fungus, bacteria, things like that. So this is a pest. This could be a mole problem or, you know, a mouse problem. So think of it as anything that could cause problems, not just necessarily a bug, because that's usually what people think of when they think of a pest. That's a good point. That's so what's the, point. what's the big picture? Like, what's the point of doing this? So IPM is essentially a strategy uh, to prevent and suppress these pests uh, while having minimum impact on the environment, but also your pocketbook and the amount of time you have to spend. Because if I'm spraying, again, if I'm spraying organic or inorganic or whatever I'm doing, if I'm hand picking those insects off, you know, if, if you want to do that, uh, sometimes I have a rough day and if there's a Colorado potato beetle out there and you smash that with a rock, you will feel better. Okay. I'm just letting you know. But anyway, essentially, <laughs> we're, we're trying of, not to target. Some- Rage and that uh, there was some emotion. If you, came if you needed, there. it's to... pretty outside, and I'm sitting in an office as a plant person, <laughs> so I'm re- a little ragey today. But essentially, it's a strategy. Potato beetles, <laughs> yes. watch yes. out, and aphids. I like to smush aphids with my hands as well as Japanese beetles. You take I like pictures on social them. media of you squishing various insects, Alexis. Sometimes I wonder. Yeah. I mean... So uh, listen, this is off topic, but I feel like it kind of is on topic. So when we get Japanese beetles, if you are uh, in Kentucky, you've seen a Japanese beetle, or any of our surrounding states, you know what we're talking about here. The first Japanese beetle I find. I I put it on a a makeshift pike, aka I grab like a little pin of some kind, and I Wallace vibes. (laughs) I I put it on a pike and then I tape it up on one of my uh, like one of my little rows as a warning to the rest of those Japanese beetles to keep keep away. Like a scare beetle, not a scare. You can also use this in an IPM strategy. (laughs) Welcome to biological control. Fear is a tactic. Fear is a tactic. <laughs> so you were saying so. So we want to we want to prevent the pests or the the pests and disease because they cut into how much good taste in food or pretty flowers or whatever it is that we get, and we want to think about the integrated techniques that aren't just spraying 
why 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 do we not just immediately spray what's the what's usually the downside? If, if we use just one tactic for anything in life you know if we overuse a tactic uh what happens it, it either we have escapees from that tactic that then you know creates a larger population of escapees or the tap tactic whatever that is becomes ineffective uh, you know which Resistance is related to the forms. first statement yeah and it's it's a more effective approach to be quite honest, and it's one that's uh, more targeted. When I talk to master gardener groups and, and commercial growers, one of the very first statements I always make when talking about IPM, I said, "Listen, folks," and I also stress this to the organic uh, growers as well. I said, "You are substituting uh, kind of silver bullet solutions like." rescue spray treatments you are substituting that as a first option for knowledge and the ability to do things like monitor and identify specific pests and and determine damage thresholds and all of this you're increasing your knowledge level and you're hopefully being more effective over the long run and being more targeted for the environment around you being more targeted towards the pest itself rather than both pest and beneficial populations. And that's why this comprehensive approach is so important because there is just simply some pest that we don't have a silver bullet spray for. Uh, we don't have those options. And what you have to back up and do is use this approach. That's multi-pronged approach. That's integrated pest management. Hopefully it's going to be more effective for you in the long run. It's, I think you know one another way just to phrase it again. Me being the the not the noob around here, is it? It feels kind of like with if you if we think about this as like managing and working with plant health and soil health as part of what we're doing, the overall strategy. It's kind of like if you think about your own personal health. If you can do things like exercise, get you know a decent diet in, reduce your stress, get some sleep, etc., you're you're less likely to get sick in the first place. But if you do get sick, you can take medicine as opposed to not doing any of those things, you know, uh, go into Josh's office with no windows and uh, we, you know, eat <laughs> just, live just here. Eat food that's not so great for you and makes you feel bad and not get enough sleep, and not do all that. Well, you're going to get sick and you're just going to say, well, I'm going to be sick all the time. So I'm going to rely on medicine and maybe that medicine will get less effective over time. Or maybe I just don't want to feel bad in the first place. It seems like a kind of a similar thing where it's no one's saying don't take the medicine, don't use the sprays. But there's a lot of things we can do along the line, along the way to maybe mitigate some of that risk and, uh, and, and increase our chances of not getting sick or not having issue in the first place. Yeah, IPM can be not, I mean, we'd almost apply it to anything of our life. The general concepts we're going to talk about today, not the specific context, con, you know, problems, but it could be integrated problem all. management. I mean, whatever, IPM, uh, integrated approach. What's that, Alexis? I said I, I, I have aphids in all aspects of my life. Um, oh, <laughs> you know, that's a good jumping <laughs> off. Well, you've already got us into the first point, Alexis, um, the backbone of any IPM program. And you've, you've led us in very nicely today <laughs> is, is monitoring. And, and I start with that first. When I talk about an IPM program, I always start with monitoring because rescue treatments are never as good if the problem gets big, rescue treatments are never as good as preventative treatments. And when we talk about preventative treatments, there's just more options out there. Our toolbox is more full of tools. But uh, you were talking about aphids. Um, was it aphids that we mm -hmm. were talking about earlier? Yeah. And you were doing what when you were doing that? Uh, you, why were you looking for them? Well, I'm checking on my crop. So, 
you, you need to be out there inspecting your crop. So inspecting it for diseases, inspecting it for insect pressures, but also looking at the leaves. Is something weird happening? Are they curling? Is it something where they have frost damage? Uh, are they looking a little yellow? Maybe you have some nutrient deficiency. So you should be consistently at least weekly, at least weekly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you are growing uh, to make some money, you need to be out there probably more often, and you most likely are already out there, but really start paying attention uh, to what those things look like, and you'll start to notice that damage uh, by any pests uh, well before you need to necessarily do anything about them, and you know it's available, and you can start thinking about how you're going to react uh, to these uh, pest incoming pest pressures. And yeah, just Monitoring, to, there's no substitute. Yeah. The, the briefest little side note here. As you're monitoring, too, don't forget to soak up some of the joy and beauty of what's happening, too. You know, you don't have to just be looking for problems. You can also use that as an opportunity to be like, man, look how well this is doing. Like, look how good it's now, responding Brett, to that thing Alexis that I did. Alexis out there looking for stuff to squash and put that's, on social media. Right. Listen, that, that is, is joy, what if that's though, her that joy, joy, Brett? Don't I, take her joy away. We have away. kind of a yin and yang type, type <laughs> yes, energy here. Brett, Brett and I are very yeah. um, opposite, yeah. but together we make a beautiful but yeah, I do, podcast. That being plugged into what's going on, I, yeah, I couldn't echo that more. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's just the foundation. And what you have to do, I mean, is learn to probably, Alex, is it fair to say that you need to kind of get good at knowing, first of all, what are the big problems with particular crops? If you're growing a tomato, mm-hmm. the, the potential issues are going to be different than if you're growing, you know, a beet in the ground. It's going to have a different set of problems. But if you get good at knowing those top three issues, uh, diseases and insects of those, and then scout for those Mm -hmm. and start there, you're probably, you're probably miles ahead. You're already well on your way to monitoring and maybe experiencing Brett some joy through that monitoring that if you're doing a good job. Yeah. You don't necessarily know how to look for everything. Like Ray said, if you can pick those top three uh, and we have, you know, some great publications on that on scouting guides for different top uh, crops. We have some of those if you're growing tomatoes, pumpkins, peppers. We have a few of them um, at UK, but you get, or just ask a a fellow farmer, somebody else who's been growing it for at least one season longer than you have. What did you see last year? And if you know to start looking for these, you're going to spot them a lot earlier and save yourself a lot of, a lot of time and, and, you know, get some joy out of it and all those things. (laughs) Now, when you see the first aphid, Alexis or Brett, I know, and Josh, you guys are home gardeners and you've worked extensively in horticulture crops. All of you guys have. When you see that first aphid, do you go to the nuclear option? I mean, what's your threshold there? When you see one aphid, you may go nuclear. Maybe I shouldn't have asked you specifically, <laughs> Don't Alexis. Ask me about Alexis <laughs> may. But I mean, we talk about the thing about uh, integrated pest management is you've got to have a certain tolerance level and you have to have an understanding of how many pests of whatever type or how, how much disease uh, are you going to be able to tolerate before it affects you in some way. But that first aphid, are you just going to go nuclear and just nuke everything or, or how does that work? Well, my first a question for a question, Tackett, is... Back at me. What, what part of the crop are you selling? So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if I am growing a carrot where I'm harvesting the root that is underground and I have an aphid or let's say a grasshopper because it's a munching pest, right? That is eating down my carrot top. And maybe it's late in the season. Like I'm probably going to harvest any day now, but it's eating down the top of my carrot. Does that matter as much as if I have a root weevil in there eating the root of my carrot? What is no 
Alexis. What is no? <laughs> She's loving those softballs yeah. today. I like that one. That's a good point. I, I guess if you had something eating all of the top of the cat, because that is the energy mm-hmm. factory. But once again, if you have a little bit of something, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to, to go all out on control. Right. And, right. and diseases are one of these things I think of more so than even insects. Let's say you have, you see the weather forecast and you have a certain type of disease on a pepper. And you know that disease only flourishes when you have cloudy, high, humid weather, but yet the weather coming up is going to be sunny and the humidity is going to drop. That's going to affect how you approach your spray schedule. Your interval may be on a certain type of management, maybe a 14-day interval management versus a seven-day interval management. But all of that comes back, it sort of relates back to that action threshold. Yeah, I would and say insect that threshold. There, the answer, like to what you were saying earlier, what you were asking about earlier, Ray, is there with almost any pest, any disease, there is no such thing as a zero tolerance policy. In fact, sometimes those zero tolerance policies are, are part of what becomes responsible for things like resistance later on down the road. Yes, I have many times in my home garden, in other in contexts, other contexts, we're just managing a crop for a research project or something like that found a small pocket of a certain pest or a small issue of disease just pulled the diseased leaves and it was more than enough to like kind of let things roll maybe adjust the adjust the amount of irrigation you're putting on it maybe being aware of which parts of the field are having issues but you know you could just you could just squash the bugs you know if you see a little pocket of aphids on one leaf i'm going to go through and i'm going to squash every single one that i can and then if I don't see them anywhere else, I'm, I'm definitely not going to go and just spray just to spray. And that absolutely worked because you did early monitoring. You were probably out there on a regular basis. And that's so true of a lot of different insects and disease pests that if you catch it early, you can sort of manage it on a local basis rather than wholesale spraying an entire area. And that's knowing your pest, being able to identify whatever that pest is and taking early action. That's that's one of the best ways to implement integrated pest management is just through that monitoring, knowing the thresholds, knowing how bad the disease could possibly get, the environmental conditions for that disease or insect. But yeah, that's a great example. I love it. Love it. You got you got on top of the problem early. Yeah. And it, sometimes it is that you, you squash them day one think you got everything and you come back in two days and they have in fact spread and they are all over the place. And that means then you're going to have to up your game and, and think about a different type of intervention. Mm-hmm. But at least now, you know, and you know, if you're, if you're a good record keeper, you've written in your field journal where you found that stuff or you've made some sort of note of that. But um, sometimes you, sometimes you win it, sometimes you don't, but you're, you know, early, you know, early detection on so many different things is so key. Yeah. Right. And is that, Deciding yep. your tolerance level. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're growing a cut flower, uh, that flower has to be perfect. So my tolerance level for an aphid is going to be a lot lower on a cut flower than it is on a tomato plant because that aphid is going to be on the leaves of my tomato plant. So I can harvest that tomato and nobody's going to know that I had aphids. Now, eventually, mm-hmm. yes, it gets to a certain point, but that's that tolerance level that we're talking about deciding what you're willing to deal with. Uh, you know, we see this a lot with apples and like fungicide programs. So, uh, here in Kentucky, it's a very humid state to be uh, planting apples in the first place. So we have a lot of disease pressure here. And if you are growing them for mostly home sales or even for canning or something where 
visual appearance is not as important, you can get away with not doing sprays for something like apple scab because it's mostly just something that's just a physical abnormality, right? It tastes good still, Mm -hmm. all of that jazz versus if you're somebody who's selling to the public or to a grocery store, you kind of have to have a perfect thing. So you know you're going to have to do some preventative sprays uh, or other tactics uh, for that tolerance level. You know, as we're talking about all this, uh, just a thought come to to mind from a professor, a very good professor I had in my undergrad studies. And uh, every year he, he would put a sample out. You know, we were looking for pests on different, you know, agronomic and horticulture crops. And he would put a number of samples out that had absolutely nothing wrong with them. And I would ask him, I said, I said, why do you keep doing this, Dr. Thompson? I was like, why do you put these, there's no diseases on there. He said, your problem, Tackett, is you know what, you know, you're looking for with the pest. He said, but you have to start on the reverse of that. You have to know what a healthy plant looks like. And Alexis, she, she said something that made me think about that. She knows what a healthy crop in her high tunnels look like. And I thought that was a profound comment, and I've always thought about that in integrated pest management. And that's my, one of my jumping off points is you have to know what a healthy tomato plant in general looks like. And then you can, and that relates to, you know, the apple scab discussion that relates to is that, is that normal? You know, is that an acceptable level? Is that a representative example of a product that you can sell? Maybe, maybe not. But uh, yeah. Uh, and all of that goes back to monitoring and, and action thresholds. It, it all ties in sort of circular into the conversation. Uh, something else I'd like to kind of quiz you guys about or kind of pick your guys' brains about it, uh, cultural practices. That's sort of a, another big concept in integrated pest management. And we talked a little bit, we touched on some of these concepts in a, in a previous podcast when we were talking about succession planting. Uh, cultural practices are things like modifying planting dates or, or cultivation patterns or harvesting pra- harvesting practices to manage pests. But do you guys have any comments on that? This, this is one that is a, just, for me, another big concept. I would say the healthier your plant is, the less pest problems you're going to have. Mm-hmm. So we know that. What, what to makes be it healthy? I mean, right. like... Yeah, it goes, exactly, exactly. And that that starts, whether it's a seed, getting a disease-free seed, which is important. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of seed-borne seed born diseases. Or getting a healthy transplant, and that goes back to knowing what a healthy plant looks like. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Brett, have you ever bought it, or Josh, have you guys ever bought a dud of a home tomato and brought it home and it already had, you know, some sort of issue with it, and you just basically brought the problem home and it just got worse? Only sure. once. Yeah. <laughs> Only once. Yeah. <laughs> once, shame on you uh, or shame on them. I forget how it goes. But yeah, uh, if it happens more than once, you need to self-evaluate, I guess. But Stop sometimes that there. does happen. I think but, one of but, the one yeah. of the cultural practices or, or the a suite of cultural practices is to have that related to the succession planning on our uh, uh, planting on our last episode is – having some sense of like the quote unquote field history or the bed history. In other words, if you had tomatoes in that spot last year, don't put tomatoes back in that spot again this year. And we, we talk about crop rotation Mm -hmm. as a concept and people will think about like the soil resting or, you know, alternating things that don't feed as heavily so that the nutrients can be built back up again. And that's certainly part of it. But a big part of it too, is that certain diseases can overwinter in the soil. They can hang out, especially if there's a bunch of leaves and plants that you didn't clean up. 
Uh, and the insects as well can lay their eggs and they're right there. And so if you have a, a crop of insects that have laid their eggs and they hatch right where you've now planted that same plant host plant again, uh, those are what, when I think of cultural practices, those are the yes. ones that come to mind right away. A big one. Uh, that may be the biggest. And yeah. we're not talking about just rotating between different crops. We're talking about, I think Alexis maybe mentioned it in a previous podcast, uh, rotating within families of crops. Yes. Didn't you mention that? Was that you or was that Josh? Well, who was that? I think that was Alexis who mentioned that. Okay. But that's definitely yeah. a good, you know, kind of rule of thumb when rotating and, and combining that with, as Brett said, you know, kind of the, the seasonality of when you're putting things in, like it's, it's one thing to rotate throughout the season, but you also kind of want to make sure you're not planting the same family in the same place that it was in the same time in the previous year, because your these homework, pests, yeah. Yeah. yeah, the pests can go into these dormant States, but if every spring, you know, their, their host, their perfect host plant keeps showing up, it's oh, not going to work out. Populations <laughs> explode. It's an absolute buffet. Right. And Alexis kind of nailed it. I mean, uh, basically, if it's a healthy plant, it's by default more resistant. And all these cultural practices we're talking about, we're just talking about creating an optimal environment for the plant and one that's not so good for the pest in some situations. Well, You're not right selecting plant, necessarily right one for the other. Yeah. Uh, so certainly that's part of it, planting dates and rotation, but also since we're an extension group, we absolutely have to mention what soil testing and soil amendments. We had a whole podcast on soil, but yes. Uh, how does that, how is that a cultural integrated pest management concept soil testing? Well, what, what's that going to do if you have the proper nutrients in your soil and you maintain your soil profile in an optimum manner, what does that translate into? Alexis said it. Healthier Hopefully, plant. healthier plant. So that's another big concept is um, manage your soil nutrition uh, very very carefully because, you know, not only is light and temperature important, but the, the nutrients in the soil. A fast-growing, healthy plant is just going to do better because, remember, that thing's a living organism, and if you scratch the surface of your skin you may get an infection. And guess what? If you bump a tomato plant as you're cultivating, you're scratching the skin of another living organism and it may get an infection of some kind. And if it's healthy and growing well, it just does better. And that sort of ties back into, Brett, was it you that mentioned earlier, the health kind of aspect, kind of the analogy sort of ties back into that. Healthy plants, more resistant, healthy people, more resistant. Yeah, I to agree. certain things. I have to have a caveat here. Of, oh, do um, it. <laughs> yes, Ray is right. And so, but not only soil tests for, for, to know what nutrients to add, but knowing the amount to add, because especially with uh, things like nitrogen too much, it, there could be too much of a good thing. So if you already have an aphid problem or, you know, a cucumber beetle pop problem or something like that, if you over fertilize with nitrogen, you're going to get a lot of fast, weak growth. And it's going to be very rich in nutrient and it's very excited. And guess what? Your aphids get really excited about but that. More so is better, Alexis. It's like a protein <laughs> shake. Yeah, it's, protein it's shake for your cucumber. Exactly. Meal. You're giving them like uh, the protein shake, the energy drink, That when really those plants don't need that much. So knowing exactly how much to put down and not overdoing it. If we say put down two pounds, don't put down three because mm -hmm. it'll come back to bite you and you just wasted a lot of money. Yeah, these imports aren't cheap, so hopefully that uh, that's another aspect of integrated pest management. Uh, in the end, if you're being more productive and you're reducing inputs, hopefully you're 
becoming more economically viable. Your profits mm-hmm. will increase if you're a commercial gardener you know, uh, or a commercial producer. Hopefully so. That's that's kind of what the discussion is surrounding today. Healthy plants and, and better plants, better production. Er, earlier on, I, I outed myself as a bit of a hippie with uh, touchy-feely stuff about the joy From of the monitoring and, and looking around. And I think for me, with with plants in general, and this would include perennial stuff that we have in our in our yard and, and see around, and my uh, helping my parents take care of some of their stuff, and, as well as garden plants, the the sooner you can get to a point of thinking about it as trying to provide the plant with as many contextual factors and support as it can get for it to defend itself and take care of itself, rather than just as this thing that you're trying to this object that you're trying to manage and, and uh, spray the stuff off of it or, you know, dump the fertilizer into the, it's this, it is a, a being, a living being that wants to live. It wants to grow. It wants to survive. And you're in charge of providing some of the context, some of the things that it needs. And so uh, I think IPM is a lot about that. It's about, okay, uh, this thing stresses a plant out. Just don't do that. Uh-huh. This you're thing, like a parent. Yeah, I, I was going to say, as a, a childless person, you know, you're not trying to mold your child into the what you're trying to help them figure out who they are, do what they want to do in a safe way that's healthy and, and, and support that. And so, again, this has been Mr. Rogers uh, <laughs> plant. You want to realistic way people with feelings so that you Plant can support line. <laughs> but that, I do think that's like it's, it's a little bit of a frame, a frame of reference mm-hmm. shift. Mm hmm. Yeah. So we got healthy plants. We are monitoring, but there are sometimes you're just, you know, you're going to get a Japanese beetle infestation in June in Kentucky because we have, you know, these invasive species that our plants are not, you know, used to dealing with and we're going to have to do something. So one easy, relatively speaking, sometimes it can be difficult to actually do, but an easy thought is this phys- idea of physical methods of We've talked about handpicking when I've had a rough day. You know, you go out and you squash some beetles uh, or you dump them into a bucket of soapy water or something like that. If you all were seeing us live, you would see all of the crazy hand movements that my uh, co-stars here are making. But, you know, but you can also do things like a row cover or spraying them off with water. Oh, I like row covers a lot. A row I cover, conventional that. or organic. Both of our growers, no matter what they are, love row cover because yeah. it saves them I a lot of time. I see more and more time. row covers out there. Uh, it's great. Uh, and I guess in other parts of the world, I know that they are more accustomed to using, but maybe they don't have access to products, rescue treatments. But in other parts of the world, row covers have been around for and utilized for a long time. But a newer concept in the U.S., relatively speaking. But yeah, the row cover stuff is really, really cool. I know that you have to allow, I've worked with some local producers, and they've had to to manage like pollination requirements. Because at some point you have to open the thing up or you have to put pollinators under the row covers. But yeah, that's a super, super good point. And so in that Is case, that, we're, yeah. you're physically excluding the pest rather than physically removing it. And those row covers, they're a lighter weight than what you use for like a frost blanket or, or the, they can allow more air penetration. And light. Mm-hmm. And light and light through. Uh, but yeah. There's so many versions that when you look in a gardening, even a home gardener manual, you can purchase many different types of uh, row covers, depending on which qualities you need out of those row covers. So yeah, there there are a lot of different ones out there. That out there, uh, and for commercial producers, there's a lot even more. 
there's even more, but that's a, that's a great point, Alexis. And that's another big, one of the foundation concepts is the use of barriers, traps, both in monitoring uh, as trapping, but as in just simply trapping pests, whether it's a trap crop or otherwise. And then the use of barriers I think is great because there are some pests that are going to be there. They're going to like, you know, cucumber beetles and they're vectors of diseases, But for a synthetic chemical to work, they're going to land on there and feed. But by the time they've landed on there and feed, the the synthetic chemical does its job. It may kill the insect, but it's already become a vector, injected some virus or other other disease into the plant, some bacteria. And uh, even though the, the product is working to control that population, they still do the same amount of damage over and over. And that's where barriers are such a great tool is physically keeping some of these pests away from valuable crops. Yeah, it's great. So we've said this several times now, but Alexis, I'd like for you to explain to me. So I get why the the organic growers might want to use something to exclude. Uh, Why would that be something that's useful to a chemical? I mean, uh, to a a conventional grower who has certain other more powerful chemicals available. And why would I even consider this IPM stuff if I'm conventional? Yeah, so I mean... for me as somebody who's, who's a grower and of course is, is IPM is very important. Uh, and I help people with that. Physical barriers are, save me a lot of time and money and save a lot of time and money for, you know, to, to go the opposite of the feel good, feel, feel goods, which are very <laughs> important. But when it comes down to it, I can put a row, row cover on or a grower can put a row cover on and not have to mess with that very often and know they're getting 100% control or about as close to it as possible versus if I'm getting putting a spray down – sprays are expensive, right? And then the time it takes for you to pay somebody and hopefully pay yourself – to mix that up, to put it down, you've got to have the right protective equipment on. You can't be doing it on a windy day. You know, we need to be following the label. All of these things can really uh, come into play with restricting when you can use that. And so versus putting a row cover down um, or something like diatomaceous earth where, you know, if you've got crawlers, so slugs, caterpillars, stuff like that, that are crawling onto your plants, you can put some diatomaceous earth down. And you're going to get pretty good control uh, around those plants versus all the time and all the money spent to use these sprays. And so, you know, we see a lot of our conventional growers doing these physical methods because it's just it's easier and they can go do something else. Yeah, I think the time and money and and in, if you're selling your product, those are the same thing is a huge part of this whole puzzle that, you know, it's we, we say that these were you know, doing pest management in harmony with ecology. And it's, it's because it's a smart thing to do. Time and money. Not just a feel good thing. I mean, there's feel good things about it, but yeah, you're, you're not having to spend a bunch of money on sprays. You're not having to take the time to do it. You're not having to expose yourself to chemicals and, Mm -hmm. and if you don't need to. And uh, I think that that other thing we've talked about is like the long-term efficacy of a, of a product. It's sort of like if you take ibuprofen every time you have a headache, Suddenly it doesn't, doesn't work as good. But if you take an ibuprofen every once, only when it's really bad, it kind of can knock you, knock you back and make you feel better pretty quickly. And so I think it's a similar, similar thing that we're seeing with antibiotics and other things that we're understanding Uh more over time that if we, if we were to just do what some of the hippies maybe said and think a little bit about living in harmony with nature, (laughs) but you know, it's great when we could do both, Brett, we can realize those economic gains 
while at the same time using the least impactful, most targeted solution. So I love it to make an old TV reference. I know most people won't get it, but it's an A-Team reference. I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> I'm glad somebody's laughing. It, yes. Dead air silence would have broken my heart there. I just want you guys to know that. If no one laughed. But we yes, had Brad, I like pool. those comments. I like. I love your comments. Yeah, thank you all. Why not do yeah. both? Why not be able to reconcile both one with the other while doing a good job being a producer? Yeah, yeah. Love it. Cool. Love so it. physical, what's the next one? You know, we have, we talked a little bit about uh, another big um, concept here is good sanitation. It's related to some of the comments we've already made, but crop cleanup as it relates to pests, because pests a lot of times, whether it's a disease or insect, they can uh, overwinter or harbor in uh, old plant refuge that you don't clean up. So you have to be aware of that especially if you're doing things like secession plantings that are kind of intense and you're doing similar related groups of plants intensively, but good sanitation, good garden cleanup, good market cleanup, big or large, uh, you know, the larger scales, the same applies to small scale is just good cleanup. Removing the source of the potential pest infestation is a big foundation concept. You know, that's very, very important. Can't overstate that. That is one thing. Uh, I don't know if, you guys clean up your gardens, home gardens at the end of the season. I do because I don't want a lot of leaves hanging around that have potential diseases on them that's going to come back to get me. And commercial people that do a good job, they know that as well. But uh, sanitation, that's another big one. And I, yeah, cleaning the tools, if you use tools that are involved yeah. in that as well. Oh, yeah. A big one for homeowners. And we talk about things like early blight for fruit trees, you know, sanitizing those and, and so that you don't have uh, the disease kind of hanging out on tools. Uh, the same goes for field implements that if you're using cultivation of equipment, you know, sanitation, yes, is a concept in the field, but it's also on your equipment. It's just on your farm in general. Remember, this is integrated pest management. So we think about the whole farm as a living system. But yeah, Tools as well as plants, materials, it all applies. Absolutely. Good sanitation overall. On an earlier podcast, I keep saying that, but how about resistant varieties as it, uh, as it kind of goes into integrated pest management? How does that kind of flow into this? It's also part of it, right? We right. see that but, most. Go ahead, Josh. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, that's kind of one of the stronger arguments for integrated pest management is because if you're con- – what I, what I was taught in my entomology class was that, you know, if you're only using one form of control, you're basically selecting for bio, for resistance to that form yes. of control. Whereas point. if you throw a couple of things at your problem, it's much harder, if not impossible, for that, that organism to react to both. Mm-hmm. Great point. Yeah, you're setting different traps. If right. it doesn't trigger the first trap, it may fall into the next one. I know Alexis probably likes that because it's kind of violent towards the pest. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that probably appeals to you. But yeah, that's a great point. I love when you have stacked right. kind of defenses. Kind of If any of you guys play tower defense games, you stack your defenses. Well, that's kind of what you're doing in integrated pest management. You're stacking your defenses. Yeah, you Speaking make sure of to violence. get those survivors. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of violence, uh, this leads me into biological controls because they are often very violent. Predatory lady beetles. There's a comic out there and uh, you all have probably seen it, but it's um, a mother and a daughter and she sees these little ladybugs on a leaf and she goes, oh, look at the cute ladybugs. And then it zooms into the ladybugs and they're grabbing these aphids and they're like – 
roar and they're munching them down and it's like really metal um (laughs) that's my favorite because the the insect world is violent (laughs) oh yeah Uh, but you can use biological controls uh for insects primarily uh you can use them for some diseases as well there's a lot less available out there where essentially you're pitting a disease against another disease uh and that's a little bit more difficult but for insects insects especially you can uh, give them other insects that will eat them or lay their eggs in them or destroy them in some way Uh, but you can also use the fungus that will essentially infect these target insects. And what's beautiful about beneficial insects uh, and biological controls is they're usually very specific. So we don't have this concern about targeting other beneficials like the honeybee or praying mantis or other things like that. We're very um, being very specific about who we're targeting here. Guys, this sounds great, but you're commercial producers. You, you have a whole high tunnel or greenhouse full of beautiful flowers and all of your best efforts and all of your greatest pool of knowledge has failed. Uh, what is your last best hope for the plant population? We've, we've come towards the end of our discussion today and we said that this was going to be our last option, which is pesticides, direct sprays of, or direct application of some product, either synthetic or organic to control pests. And sometimes we get to that point that it is just the way the world works, that the the pest pressure and the environment has worked against you and you've used your best knowledge and application of that knowledge uh, to control pests and it still has not been enough, then you then you do have that final line of defense. Have any of you guys been pushed to that point or are you guys so ecologically smart and such system thinkers of a magnitude that you have never been pushed to the brink? To use, uh, to have to use like a direct application, a final nuke solution. Uh, no, I have, I have sprayed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm asking you guys. I've done it. Uh, the uh, the, um, the holistic one in the group just admitted. Uh, that that he has had to make an application. Well, sometimes the weather works against you and yes, you can do all does. the sanitation, you can do all of the scouting, but then it rains for two weeks straight and you can't get, you know, biological yes. control out there. You can't do mm. these things. And they explode and the populations explode and breach those tolerance levels before you have an opportunity. And so you take those steps two at a time and sometimes you gotta jump. Yes. And then you can start kind of back fresh with doing your scouting, releasing beneficials uh, if you want. And, you know, once your populations are under a level that you can control with some of these other ways, but yeah, forget I've got backpack sprayers. Let's go. <laughs> bruh, bruh. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, so I, uh, yeah. I, one thing I would add to just briefly on the biological side, in addition to, so Alexis is literally talking, you can literally buy containers of wasps, containers of lady beetles, containers of all kinds of things and release those. Uh, and there's lots of really interesting research uh, been done about the efficacy of that, which in some cases is quite good. You can also encourage, encourage biological activity and encourage the existence of those parasites through things like planting other types of native plants and other types of uh, surrounding habitat for those things. But I think you know, if Ray mentioned the touchy-feely, and I'm going to go again here. The reality is that when we're planting a crop and we have aspirations for that crop to exist or to come out in a perfect way or in a highly productive way, 
In fact, we are trying to do something that doesn't really necessarily fit within that ecological model in the first place. There's there's a scenario sure. where the bugs just eat our plant and the there plant is, has yeah. enough to, to reproduce maybe and that's it. And so I think part of the, the spraying, the, the, that Band-Aid spray is the times when we're losing the ecological game that is playing out and we don't like to lose, so we spray. And I think, yeah, certainly intervened according to the label things have to be listed you should use the right dosage you should be go through the trainings to become a pesticide applicator it's helpful for a lot of different things but uh, that that would be my little two cents on yeah it brings us to a good point in the discussion again this is a systems approach one in which you are it's a reverse model in which you don't think first about you know a rescue spray you're doing a lot of preventative maintenance procedures in the form of applying the knowledge that you have in this system, this integrated pest management system. And I'll sort of wrap us up here by kind of reiterating some points that we've talked about. Again, it starts with monitoring, scout early and scout often. We all, That's my motto for commercial growers and for homeowners, early and often. Uh, be aware of the common diseases and insect problems and any other problems for a particular crop. And then kind of understand your product. And, and if you're marketing a product, understand how much damage you can have and still have an, uh, a product that's marketable. That matters. Understanding if you're a homeowner, how much damage you can have on a tomato before you have to throw that tomato away and it's a complete loss. So you have to understand thresholds. And then manage carefully all of these cultural practices we just talked about. Soil testing, managing nutrients, good sanitation, rotation, uh, using resistant varieties that can give you just a real leg up against pests, using barriers and trap crops and, and managing timing carefully and planting crops and giving them the best chance to grow and do well. And then when there's issues beyond that, you know, you start to look at biological controls of pests if they still persist. And then even one step beyond that, as a last option, pesticides, organic or inorganic pesticides, and hopefully a pesticide that can be somewhat targeted towards the pest. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of our pesticides, they may be broad spectrum. They do their job very well, but they do it very well on a broad selection of insects. Some of those insects may not be pests. They may be beneficial. So that's why it's our last option. It was a great discussion today, guys. I, I really appreciate it. It's always great uh, hearing from your guys' perspectives. What a great conversation. Awesome. Well, I'm going to take us out here. Thank you guys for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed uh, listening to us babble about IPM because we get real excited about it. But we hope that as we grow this podcast, you will grow with us. Have a great one. <laughs>